Today, our topic is preaching and prayer. Um, and, you know, the last two equipping classes, we've talked about unity in the local church. Uh, the why behind it, how it glorifies God when we are committed to one another in the local church. But this morning, we're going to spend some time considering how God intends to bring about the supernatural work of unity. And we're in, first of all, we're going to talk about the importance of the supernatural in our church. The life of our church, or of really any church, should be evidently supernatural. Now, what do I mean by that, evidently supernatural? Well, what I mean is, when people look in on our church, they should see something supernatural in the depth and breadth of our relationships. They should see something unusual, something unique, something that can't be explained through purely natural means, something beyond the ordinary. <clears throat> God has revealed his ordinary means for accomplishing the extraordinary, the supernatural. Have you considered that God accomplishes the most extraordinary things through some of the most ordinary means? Now we all love a good story. And most of us are bored with the commonplace, and so we become captivated by the extraordinary. But God has ordained that his church be built brick by brick or person by person through the ordinary means of preaching and prayer. Uh, we're going to look at preaching. If you'll look at Romans 10, 17, I'll let you look that up. Because preaching is one of the ordinary means of supernatural grace for God's church. And when we look at Romans 10.17, it says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Well, according to this verse, what is the source, of, the source or cause of saving faith? What is it? Yeah, hearing God's word. Wait a minute, Paul. This is the 21st century. You have no idea what the modern church is up against these days. We have to compete against the, with the world's level of entertainment. Surely we need better sound systems, more contemporary or updated music, better technology, bigger screens, plusher pews to woo the world. Paul says no. The word of God will do. Supernatural faith comes from the ordinary means of faithfully preaching God's word. Then we're going to look at prayer. And if you'll look at John 14, 13 through 14. As I said, the other means of grace we want to look at is prayer. Jesus told us in John 14, 13 through 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So another way that, so as we see, look at that, so we see another way to see God do the supernatural work in our churches is to approach him in prayer, knowing that in Christ, God hears our prayers. Prayers of praise, confession, 
thanksgiving, and petition. So for the rest of our time this morning, I want us to look at each of these in turn. How can we be part of community in this church with supernatural unity? Primarily as we hear God's word and we pray together. Let's start with the preaching of God's word. Preaching really does matter. The fact that preaching is God's mean to accomplish the supernatural didn't come as a surprise to us or shouldn't come as a surprise to us. After all, God has always created his people by his word. Can anyone think of any biblical examples of the creative power of God's word? Genesis 1 and 2, he he just spoke the world and he spoke man into existence through his word. That's great. Any other one? Acts 2. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that in a minute. The other, the other ones is he 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 created the people of Israel by the word of his law at Mount Sinai. And then, if you'll look at Ezekiel thirty-seven seven through ten, we see that God brings life to His word to dead bones. <clears throat> See if my technology works. This is the prophet Ezekiel. It says, So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and the skin had covered them but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Uh, That is... That's an amazing passage. Uh, but, you know, when Ezekiel spoke, it's what brings his life to his people, God's word, which is exactly what we see in the New Testament about Jesus. God's word made flesh. Taught, <clears throat> it, it taught the people. And it's Peter preaching the gospel in Acts 2 that first ignites the church and the apostles' faithful teaching that sustains it. When you look at Acts 4, 1 through 4, uh, if if you'll turn there right now, we'll read that as well. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. 
But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So, what does verse 4 say about the relationship between hearing the word of God and saving faith? They did. But it had to be spoken and they had to hear it. To believe. Uh, anyway, Our takeaway, I think, is God's word is central to the identity of his people from ancient times until today. Christianity is not primarily about having a spiritual experience or about community or about warm acts of service. Though it certainly involves these things, but it is first and foremost a message, a message of good news that can be supported by historical fact. Uh, that in, we see that in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5. And it says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture, and that he appeared to... Cephas, or uh, Peter, then to the twelve. This is the good news of the gospel, and preaching this message is the source of our life as a church and eternal life for each one of us. Now we have preaching. What type of preaching? Especially expositional preaching. Uh, and, but you can have preaching and see nothing supernatural as a result. Not all preaching is faithful. Just because a preacher cracks his Bible or quotes a passage of Scripture doesn't mean he's faithfully explaining or applying the Word of God. And just as some preachers are not faithful preachers, it's also true that not all people are faithful listeners. Just think of all those people who listen to Jesus to himself listened to Christ himself, and then went away unchanged. So first I want to talk about what kind of preaching should be the norm in local churches. And then what happens when that preaching intersects with the community of God's people. So what kind of preaching will supernaturally create God's people out of nothing? In a word, preaching that is expositional, that exposes a scripture to us. When we say that a sermon is expositional or expository, we mean that it's designed to explain a particular passage of Scripture so that the main point of the sermon is the main point of the passage. The alternative is what people call topical preaching. When the preacher determines the primary point he wants to communicate in the sermon and may or may not use main a main passage of Scripture to support that point. Of course, top, topical preaching is in no way bad. I mean, we have topical sermons at UBC periodically. Uh, but what might be some of the drawbacks to a regular heavy dose of topical sermons? What might be some of the drawbacks of that? easy to not deal with the topic that's in the passage. <clears throat> Sometimes scriptures take it out of context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
when you're not preaching through the verses. That's true. Or the preacher may only preach on those pet topics of his. Uh, And as Stephen said, it's easy to shy away from difficult topics. And also we don't get the full counsel of God's word whenever we, when we hear only topical preaching. Uh, preaching that is predominantly expositional will go, grow a congregation better and with more lasting results. Why? Because as a preacher preaches expositionally, moving through successive passages of Scripture week after week, the congregation better understands Scripture in its overall context. Uh, let me elaborate a little bit by giving three specific advantages of expositional preaching. Number one, when a pastor preaches through a series of passages basing each sermon on the point of a passage of Scripture rather than a topic, God's Word sets the agenda for his sermon. Every particular, oh, I mean, very particularly... Expositional preaching forces a preacher to address verses that he may be uncomfortable with or don't fit neatly into this theological framework. Uh, Number two, expositional preaching is a better way of teaching the Bible. When a pastor preaches a passage of Scripture in context, taking the point of the passage as the point of the message... He and the congregation often hear from God things they did not know when the pastor began to study the passage. So it teaches the congregation and it teaches the pastor to be able to preach through things that I know personally when I've taught, I've learned a great deal in just the preparation of it. And so I I know that's how Brad and our other pastors who preach do the same thing. They they learn as much as we do uh, in going through the, going through the passages. Uh, number three, lastly, expositional preaching teaches a congregation how to read and study the Bible for themselves. When the sermon, week after week, teaches the congregation to be faithful explainers and appliers of God's word, the Bible will seep into every aspect of life together. But if we just stop there, we still haven't traced out all that preaching does in a church. Because preaching isn't just exposition of God's word. It is God's word for God's people. So what happens when God's word intersects with God's people? Two things to consider. Uh, Most obviously, we apply God's word. Consider the weight of responsibility that rests on our shoulders. You know, we who are privileged to hear gospel-centered preaching each and every week, I pray that on that last day, we in this church will see the fruit of such preaching in our lives. Um, Just, and think about this, what are some practical things that you can do to be a better hearer and applier of God's words preached? What are some things that you can do individually to be better hearer and applier of God's word?
Absolutely. If we read it ahead of time, we can be prepared. One other thing that you, I mean, part of that in the preparation is you individually could also pray for the preacher, uh, pray for whoever is bringing the, bringing the sermon, as well as we do in the order of service we pray. The other thing is you can take notes uh, uh, to, uh, so you can discuss the sermon and also be able to reflect back on it in the application of it. And usually if you're taking notes, you're you're a little better listener whenever you do that. Or at least, maybe I, I should say I am. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it does. It helps to, you know, especially when we come back and discuss it either in life group or whatever, it's nice to look at those notes to be able to do that. Yes, sir. No. <laughs> teasing. <laughs> well, even though it's expositional, is it helpful compared to other scriptures that might be broadening the thought that's brought out in the exposition? Oh, I don't. For example, the word religion. For what? I think you would also go to other passages of Scripture, okay? Yeah. <laughs> that the overall context is that you know, that you, you you are you are converted through God's grace and through His through His action, and as you believe, if you believe, you're going to see you're going to see fruit of of that conversion. And I think the Bible is pretty clear on yeah, when. It's part of what you're saying is just like the John Knox here <coughs> cross referencing as we're preaching. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I, I think we see that too. I think I think that's pretty regular yeah. in trying to uh, use cross reference scriptures in the context of the sermon, the context of the main point. Yeah. So, I don't think that was a monkey ranch. <laughs> <laughs> It can be for some people. <laughs> that's that's why hopefully we study and and uh, have more have more preaching and thought on it. Uh, <clears throat> but 
beyond those things of what you can do individually, we should also think about sermon application as a corporate endeavor instead of an individual one. A good question to consider. Are you working in a faithful, humble way to help apply the truth you receive to the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you know your life well enough? Or, you do, or do you know theirs? That you can help them apply a sermon in ways that, may not, that you may not have thought of. A few ideas of how you might do this. One, talk after the service, over lunch, about the sermon. You, know, you can also flesh out application points in life group. You can also do it in discipling relationships, uh, if you have those during the week, or also in your family devotionals. Or you might find it helpful to pick one or two things each week rather than trying to apply the entire sermon and prayerfully apply that thing to your life, the thing you pick out from this sermon today. And talk with others about those things, with others about those things. God gives us a feast each week. We honor him by devouring it with eagerness. Preaching in a church should explain, interpret, and apply Scripture. So in one sense, its authority rests on Scripture. But we know that as sinful humans, we can err in explaining and interpreting and applying inerrant Scripture. Preaching goes beyond that. You see, preaching in a church is backed by the united testimony of an entire community of believers each with their own sins, but each indwelt by God's life-giving Spirit. When the church works as it should, then the words preached on Sunday are tacitly confirmed by the elders and ultimately by the congregation at large. If a preacher began preaching what the congregation understands to be contrary to Scripture, then the members have a duty to act. The congregation is the final authority on such doctrinal matters. We see that clearly in Galatians 1, as Paul charges that church at large to demand true pe- preaching, but negatively in 2 Timothy 4.3, as Paul warns Timothy that some may begin to demand false teaching. And thus we have extra confidence in the truth of what we hear preached in a healthy church because it is backed by the testimony of a community of Christians. The more you know the community of your church, the more you trust its preaching. And good preaching will fuel good community. So, we can be part of the supernatural community of a local church through preaching. As we listen to good preaching, Apply that preaching to ourselves and others and support good preaching. But it also happens through prayer, which is where we'll turn our attention for the rest of our time together this morning. But before we turn to prayer, are there any questions or comments about preaching as a foundation for supernatural unity? Any comments or questions? Okay, we'll turn our attention to prayer. But 
a little more narrowly as it pertains to corporate prayer. Uh, because we're talking about the unity of the church, uh, and so we're going to focus a little more on the corporate prayer or congregational prayer. You know, we all understand that prayer is important, but when, but when we think about prayer, the first thing that probably comes to mind is private prayer. We have images of Daniel going through the window every day and praying uh, privately in his home. Or Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane going off to pray, or many examples of Christ going off to pray. Or as Luther rising at 4 a.m. to pray in solitude for hours before each day began. But the Bible clearly calls on Christians to pray together. And one of the most important one of those, of course, is we, we consider this the Lord's Prayer, but it's really his instructions to pray. And you just think of the language of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gave us in Matthew 6. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in, as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So lots of corporate, lots of, uh, of uh, multiple people considered to be in the prayer. And when Jesus modeled for us how to pray, he put it in a form that commends it even more for our use together as a body than for private use. One of the primary ways we pray as church members is when we gather corporately. Let's start with why corporate or con con congregational prayer is so important. We pray together because, quite simply, we need it. We pray out of need because we need God to act. That's how his kingdom is advanced. Just like we see in the book of Acts. There, the early church had a number of obstacles to overcome, including persecution, yet it, the church continued to expand. In Acts 4, we read that Peter and John were released from jail, and the church gathered to hear their report. You might think that with their leaders in prison... People would just pray on their own rather than risking coming together because of uh, the persecution that was going on. But corporate prayer was important enough that the believers gathered together to pray, praising God for his sovereignty and asking for boldness in the face of the threat threats. Thus Luke tells us, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And this is not limited to this particular circumstance of the early church. Throughout history, we've seen God's work to be especially active when his people have joined together to pray. Uh, the other thing through, as we've heard in the previous classes about unity, God is... God's people glorify God through prayer. 
That's why in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul calls on the entire church to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Praying together is one way that we might satisfy this command by visibly uniting together as God's people to pray. The unity we demonstrate when we seek God together in prayer is particularly striking. There are two things to note specifically. One, prayer together is a means of God's grace in which we grow spiritually as we hear others commit to prayer. And two, corporate prayer also can serve as a powerful witness to non-Christians who see the love and commitment that Christians have for one another in their prayers. The other thing, the other thing corporate prayer does is it unites. Not only does corporate prayer benefit by unity, it actually help, helps us to cultivate unity. When we pray together, we are in some ways leaving behind our own inward focused desires, instead focusing on God and others. So for example, in our Sunday evening service, we pray for each other in various ministries in the church. We thank God for his grace in people's lives. We pray for those soon to be married. We pray for those in extenuating circumstances. We pray for ministries within the church, many of which we may not directly be involved with. This praying for others, this other-oriented prayer, draws us closer together as we learn more about each other and as we see the work done by the Holy Spirit in others' lives and in many different ways. You'll hear our pastors and you'll also hear uh, just people who get up and speak and talk about it in our Sunday evening services that we call that uh, our family time. Uh, and primarily for this description is that we have a time of united prayer together. Uh, we get to hear those, hear those prayers, uh, the reasons for them, and it just it helps us unite. And, and, and I will say by way of encouragement, if you don't, if you're not feeling, kind of feeling on the fringe or not feeling part of the church, I would encourage you to participate in the Sunday evening service. I think you'll find it a more united way uh, to get to know this body by doing so. Another idea for how we can cultivate unity through prayer is consider if there are prayer requests or testimonies of God's grace that you could share with the congregation that could draw us together and help us as a body to marvel at the power and mercy of our God. Think of asking for prayer as a service to the congregation. For some of us, this might feel awkward. We are fairly private people who think of others praying for us as burdensome. But quite honestly, that's often pride on our part. Uh, and it's certainly not at all how the Bible views things. There's a great passage in 2 Corinthians 1 where Paul is sharing about a particularly difficult situation. So if you guys want to look that, look up first. It's, first, it's 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11. You 
follow along as I read. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hopes that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. That last verse is, the, is right on point. That many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Was it a burden on these believers to pray for Paul? It doesn't sound like it. Absolutely not. It was a blessing to lift him up and share in the joy of God's continual deliverance of him. You know, what if Paul thought it was too awkward uh, or too selfish to ask for prayer? Maybe he decided his problems weren't worth bothering the church with. We should thank God that he did not and then follow his example. So think about, think about how you can share your needs with others so we may be drawn together as believers and encouraged by God's amazing work. Are you struggling in your faith? Are you struggling with contentment at your job? Are you struggling in your marriage? Are you struggling with evangelism? Allow others to bring you before our Lord in prayer. It is a privilege for them to be able to pray for you. Okay. The other thing that corporate prayer has done for us, I think, is teach us how to pray. Uh, you know, I wonder if you've ever, Stephen mentioned it a while ago, I wonder if you've ever noticed that our Sunday morning service follow the same model week by week. Our times in corporate prayer are meant to be instructive in this way. We either pray, uh, we either have a prayer of confession or a prayer of praise, prayer of thanksgiving, then one of the elders leads us in a pastoral prayer of petition. And so it's a good discipline for us to focus on praying prayers solely of praise. Our prayers of praise teach us what it means to just focus our gaze on the beauty and majesty of God, to delight in Him. Similarly, similarly, that's a not too many eyes in that for me. Uh, confession can be uncomfortable if it is sincere, and we can fail to linger there long enough at times. But when we rush past confession we lose the opportunity to explore the desires and motives of our own hearts and acknowledge what is really there. Having an intentional time of prayer to confess sin makes the assurance of pardon what we read from scriptures. And the reasoning, oh, and the responding song that we sing also gives us that. That, mu- that, that makes that song much more joyful. Uh, when we realize that it is response to the prayer. And we can learn from the prayers of petition 
and thanks as well. In the prayer petition, for example, an elder will pray for much more than just our own church's needs, you know, which is the default position is to just pray for our church. But the elder will pray for our government, the persecuted church, for missions, for evangelism, for another local church, for members of our body, and he finishes by praying for the preacher in the sermon. If you follow carefully as we're led in prayer, I hope that it begins to shape your own prayer life. Uh, and then we can also, well, before, before we end our time together, which is, we're, we're ahead of time, uh, let me give you some thoughts for how you can pray daily for our church. My hope is that these things become part of our daily routine. We will see one, if they become part of our daily routine, we'll see wonderful things happen here. Uh, we'll see God's, God glorified and his kingdom added to. Uh, first of all, we can pray for the preacher. Think of Paul writing to the Ephesians. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, Words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. That's in Ephesians 6, 19-20. While our preachers may not face the fear of persecution now, there is always the ever-present fear of pleasing man. We should pray for our preacher that he would fear no man, but fear God alone as he enters the pulpit each week. I mean, that is, that is one thing that uh, I will uh, confess that I neglect, to pray for the preacher as there, you know, that is one thing that I will try to do going forward, and I think that's something that uh, should be all, all of our prayer lives, is to be able to pray for whoever's preaching that they not fear man, that they really step up and even though some of the passages are difficult, speak, speak the truth in love. <laughs> uh, one of the other things you can do is you can pray through the member directory. Uh, friends, I know you've heard this said before, but the member directory is a wonderful blessing to you in this church. For those who know, like this, we have, it's printed and you can also, you know, it's, you can get electronically uh, sent out. And I have it on my phone and on my tablet, but, but this one's probably the most used, uh, just the paper copy. Uh, you know, besides your Bible, this is probably the most important document we can use each day in our daily devotions. I know it involves praying for a lot of people you don't know, but the good news is that by praying through their pictures, you'll get to know them faster. The member's directory is not primarily a phone book. It's a prayer guide. As, as such, it is a blessing to you and other members and is wonderfully honoring to God. One of the things that, just as an example that I do, I don't always know all the people. And so there are passages in the back. I don't know if you've ever noticed. There are passages in the back, and I will take a passage and just pray that over the person. Uh, and sometimes I'll send them a text and just tell them that I prayed that for them this morning. 
uh, even though I may not know them very well, they're all very appreciative if I pray to have Scripture prayed over them. Uh, you know, and then we can also pray for our church as a whole. You know, our our church culture is the habits, expectations, and behaviors that come to characterize us as a church. You may have noticed on the third page of our member directory that there are also ways to pray for the church. You can pray for our witness in unity, in diversity. Pray for our witness of unity and diversity. Uh, our daily lives at work and at home. Our relationships in the local church as meaningful to our lives as Christians, etc. This is a great thing to pray through on your own. You know, perhaps you set aside a time to do that. Set aside a time maybe on Saturday evenings or on Sunday morning to pray through this guide here on behalf of the church. Uh, you know, as we conclude, so, so how do we expect the supernatural work of unity to mark UBC? We celebrate the ordinary means of preaching God's word and we pray corporately and individually. Those are the ways that God naturally accomplishes the supernatural. So, as we conclude, are there any questions or comments or monkey wrenches uh, that Anyone would like to bring up before we close? Jack. I think maybe I won't do it now, but if you read John 17, 20 through 23, mm -hmm. Amen. That's that's Christ's prayer for us. Pray not for me, but all Come behind them, yeah. Amen. That's a, that's a good passage. That should, we should make that part of this <laughs> class. said any others okay let me lead us in prayer as we as we as we close father we uh, we love coming together uh, father and just talking about praying about teaching about unity uh, Father, that that is the great example that you have in your word, that your word teaches, that, teaches us that through the entire scripture. Uh, Father, and just also that prayer is how we communicate with you and the privilege that we have.
for Christ to be our intercessor. And as we pray for individual things, as we pray corporately, as we pray for each other, uh, as we pray for our preacher, as we pray for the word, as it, as it goes for in truth, Father, that we, we also pray that we stay true to that word uh, in all that we do. Uh, in all of our service and all the things that we do in this church, Father, we just give you praise for that. We just pray that it brings glory to you. That, that uh, as we have talked about for the last three teaching sessions, that it that the main purpose is in unity is to glorify you and show it to a to a dying world. Father, uh, we just we. Pr- we're, we're so thankful for that. We're thankful for the, for the listeners here this morning, Father. And as we take the application of this teaching and we take the application from the sermon today, Father, just let us be a light in a dark world. And it's Christ's name I pray. Amen.